And good to see you here today. Let's take our Bibles once again, and uh, you probably are falling over to open to the book of Acts as we continue on. We are continuing in our, I've called it a bridge book, or today we're going to find it to be very transitional. It seems as such that there was just a, almost a parenthesis that is in the scriptures here showing that transition from Judaism to Christ. Um, there's, there's three examples we're going to find that are very, very interesting in the fact of even though Paul, and we, didn't, we, haven't, found, we haven't known Apollos, but we're going to be introduced to him. Um, but Paul, we certainly have known him for quite some time, actually, since chapter 9. And would you call him a Christian? Absolutely. Was he steeped in Judaism? Whoa, big time, right? And even he, he's going to be doing something today that we'll find as being a step back, and this transition isn't immediate. It's like many people that get saved. If you get somebody who's got a really, say, a bad temper, and he's whatever, whatever you want to call that person, when they get saved, they're still one of those. God's going to start working from the inside out. It's not instant transformation. You don't become perfect by the way you never do, honestly. But this transition from Judaism to, is very much like us in, when we get saved, the transition that takes place within us. And then we'll also look at not only Apollos and Paul, but we're going to look at these 12 disciples that uh, no doubt were of John the Baptist. Well, let's, let's look at our reading now in Acts chapter 18. Let's begin at verse 18, a verse that we had ended with last week, but we'll begin there today. Acts chapter 18, beginning now, uh, sorry, 1818. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centuria, for he had a vow. He came to Ephesus, Ephesus and, he, and left them there, and he himself entered into the synagogue, and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. But bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, that I will again return again unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Pergia in order, strengthening all of the disciples." And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of, the God, uh, the way of God more perfectly." When he, was, when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, uh, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showed by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard of whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, That they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus." 
when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. May God add a special blessing to read of his word, and let's just pause for prayer before we begin. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the weather that you've blessed us with this fall, and even now into December. Uh, Father, we would pray for your guidance here today. Um, as we're gathered, we especially ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit would minister to us the Word. Uh, that, as Father, as you've opened my mind, the Spirit has worked on me. Father, may it be so here today as well, that we would learn from you, that we would be even reaching a new level relationally with yourself because of what the Word exposes to us through the Spirit. We thank you for the study that we've been involved with, the depth that we've been able to get. Father, be with each one that's here today. You know their needs. You know their circumstances. You know their struggles. Father, you know it before they do. You're a God that cares and loves. Wrap your arms around us just now in this little group as we lift our, our hearts to you, looking forward to what you'll teach us through the Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we, uh, we dealt with uh, some things going on at Corinth. Uh, it was lots of exciting things actually happened. It was, in which I, I need to talk about this for just a little bit because it helps us understand. Uh, if you noticed, even though we read verse 18, we didn't touch it last week, but something is here that to me sticks out. Paul has taken a vow. That's a little strange. Let me maybe one, please uh, put the map up on the wall. I just there's a, there's a new city, if there will, since Crea. So we want to see where that's at, honestly. And uh, keep in mind, uh, Paul was he, was, in, he was in Corinth. I don't want to review too much exactly. It was, a, it was full-fledged last week. There's a lot to go over today. Um, but there's something that's interesting is in the fact that Paul was ready to, if you will, defend himself against the Jews that had brought him before Gallio. Remember that guy? He's the guy that was kind of a deputy of the city of Corinth. Uh, we'll find, you'll find Corinth right here. Now, I see this, Sincrea. It's, it's kind of the coastal area. That, you remember, uh, we do have to go we review a little bit, but this little isthmus in Achaia, which the Ionian Sea would go all the way in there, and Greece is split into two halves. There's southern Greece and northern Greece, and it's divided by a five-mile stretch or five-mile width of which Corinth is in the center of that. Sancria would be on the eastern side of that. Okay, So that's essentially where Paul would have left in a ship to go somewhere. Okay, Now, he's taken a vow, it says, and he's completed that vow. So what the vow is, I can't say with certainty, but I'm curious about the vow. Why would he do that, honestly? That's a little, I'm going to say this already, and we'll find it in numbers. This is steeped in Judaism. Okay? But at the same time, what would he be doing it for? Well, a Nazarite vow, and we'll be getting this in a moment, probably he took it because of the thanksgiving that he would have had, because quite honestly, God probably saved his life. Galileo, and even his ministry. Uh, I want to come back to that, just as the Jews would have drug him in, uh, and, and it was the whole group, if you will, that had come into Corinth to present the gospel to a very, very godless society. And Corinth is the I don't know, I just say the Las Vegas of the world at that time. It was crazy. Everything possibly immoral and debauched was there. That, and it was well-traveled. We talked about all of that last week. But 
they drug them before this Gallio, and Gallio could have actually, without question, extinguished Paul and all of the ministry for a quite a long period of time. But Gallio, and this is the interesting part, again, is the, the, the connection that even the world makes of the similarity between Judaism and Jesus Christ. Jesus was a Jew. And Jesus was seen as the Messiah by the Christian, so obviously the Christians and Jews are together because they're whatever. They, they just connect. And yet there's a big difference, honestly. Uh, the Judaism is not looking to Jesus as their Messiah. So I have to think that part of this vow would have been, certainly the time which it's taken, would have been revolved around thankfulness for Paul's deliverance from Gallio. And this, he didn't even have to defend himself. He'd say he was ready to open his mouth. Gallio said, get out of here. I don't even want to hear it. Listen, this, Christians and Jews, it's all the same to us. Just keep going. Do what you want to do. You guys figure it out yourselves. And you take a step back, and, and he was there for a good while. In fact, um, let's just go back to our text. You have your Bibles there with you. Um, it says that after this, he tarried, Paul tarried there yet a good while. So the period of time is not declared for us. But I want to just, again, center a little bit on Judaism. It was not just a religion. It is a religion. Yes, it is. But it would become, if you study all of the Old Testament, all the things that God had them do, it was a way of life. It literally, every single day of how you lived was part of who you were. Uh, I'd like to say that Christianity is the same way, but unfortunately, if we don't yield to the Spirit, we're leaving a lot of untouched territory, shall we say. The Jew, even in a Jewish home today, it's amazing how fixed they are on doing things just that way. Jerusalem, uh, I've not been to that city. Uh, we were close <laughs> within a week, but... Uh, we didn't get there, but in Orthodox Jew, in an Orthodox Jewish community, uh, it's like stepping into another world. It's totally a different place. I mean, you, 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 just like you entered another planet. That's how fixed Judaism is, especially those that were steeped in the law. Uh, we, it, it's just, I, I can't even reveal to you what it's like, honestly. It's, it's just above and beyond. That's what Christ came to deliver them from because all that they did was not enough. And that's the purpose of Judaism, was to show them that God required more than they could do. The law cannot perform life. But those who got saved out of that, because of the life they lived, it was hard to step away from it completely. Even Peter, think of Peter. He spoke to those at Pentecost, and he spoke a brilliant sermon, right? It was amazing. The Holy Spirit used him, and he saw the Holy Spirit come on them. He heard his Lord Jesus Christ as they were traveling for three years together. But I have to leave so the Comforter can come, and he will dwell within you. They knew he was coming. And yet, in chapter 10 of Acts, as we studied through that, he's ministering to Cornelius. And just before he comes, he's hungry. <laughs> Think of this. This is the epitome of hunger now. He's hungry. He's waiting for dinner to become, and he goes and he falls asleep, and he has a vision about food. <laughs> but it wasn't good food. This is the really important part. Is, uh, we never even talked about this very much when we were there. The point is, as hungry as this guy was, he's having a, a, vi a, um, a vision about food. He still is so fixed in Judaism that he will not do what he knows he shouldn't do because his mother told him that. Right? I actually had somebody come up and I taught, I taught this many, many, many years ago when I was just really young. Oh, well, I mean, not that young, but you get the idea. I was in college probably, a college age. I never went to college. But um, 
and she chided me. This lady came up after I taught through Galatians, or Genesis, or Acts chapter 10. She said, he was doing what he was, I said, who told him to eat? Was it his mother or was it God? Well, it was God. I said, I rest my case. You do what God says to do. There was a movement. There was a difference of a dispensation. God is saying, now you are really hungry and you're having this vision. Now take and eat. Oh, no. In fact, God had to tell Peter three times to eat. And then what's he going to do next when he wakes up? He's going to minister to the Gentiles. What would be worse than eating something off of the forbidden list is to actually believe that a Gentile could be saved. Talk about these, these and, and I'm not talking about Peter being saved now. Peter had just trusted God and the Holy Spirit from chapter two of Acts. There's thousands of people that have come to Jesus Christ, and he still has this roadblock from Judaism. Transition from the past is so hard. I could mention other religions today. Catholicism is one that's very, very difficult, that's steeped. And am I saying there's no Christians in Catholicism? No, I'm not saying that. But all of that stuff you have to literally leave behind to, leave, to, to be pointing at solely and completely Jesus Christ, it's hard if you've been, if you've been brought up that way. Legalism. You, you can have it in a fundamental Baptist church, for heaven's sakes. The tradition behind it that's keeping us from doing what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. My, my point in all of this is we're using Judaism, but we could, we could fix it with almost anything. There may be something in your background. There may be something from your uh, familial uh, traditions that are holding you from merely going to where Jesus Christ wants you to be. This is a message for all of us. But it's interesting. It's almost like it's a timeout because we find three pictures, three examples of men and, well, yeah, men that were moving from Judaism to Jesus. Paul is the first, and it's a vow. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 6. It says in verse 18, before you go there, it says that having shorn his head in Sancria, for he had a vow. Now, you will find out that at the end of a vow, that then your head would be, you'd get a haircut, okay? And it was he that got a haircut. Some have said it was Aquila that got a haircut. No, it was Paul. That's, that's the way the, the structure of the sentence is. But let's find out about a Nazarite vow. That's the only vow it could possibly be, especially coming from a Jewish perspective. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. I won't read the whole chapter. It's one you can do on your own. But it gives uh, def definitions or protocol uh, for a vow, a Nazarite vow. Now, one of the things we want to clear up, first of all, a Nazarite is not someone from Nazarene. A Nazarene is from Nazareth, and Nazareth has nothing to do with the Nazarite vow either. Now, the word Nazarite itself, um, is, it means to be separated or to abstain. That's what Nazarite, the word itself, means. It has nothing to do with the place of Nazareth. So, a Nazarite vow. Um, first of all, let's, let's hear from you. Uh, do you know of anyone uh, in the scriptures uh, that would have been involved in a Nazarite vow? Samson. Samson, okay. Um, there was actually three, speaking about Samson, there were three uh, individuals given to us in Scripture that actually were lifers for the Nazarite vow. Uh, Samson was one of those. Who else was it? Anybody know? There's two others. Remember uh, the woman that came to the temple and she was childless? Yeah, yeah, Samuel. There you go. Led you right there. Okay. And who's the other one? 
I think this one here that I'm going to give you next is actually the one that's the connection. This is literally, if you were going to connect the Old Testament to the New Testament, this guy's job was to do that. This is what he did. This is why he came. Literally, and all three of these examples are—it's almost like he's the channel in which they're still stemming back from. Who was the one that came before Jesus Christ? John the Baptist. He was, in fact, a lifetime uh, Nazarite. Now, the interesting part of all of this is, in each one of these cases, those three individuals did not themselves take the Nazarite vow. Their parents. Thank you very much, Mom and Dad. Well, now that's putting some serious pressure on. We're going to start to find out a few things that a Nazarite vow would have. Now, in most cases, the Nazarite vow is not a lifetime. Now, I'm, these are the only three mentioned in the Scriptures. But there could have been others, obviously. But something that knew the, ch- that the in other words, that was to keep you, it was like a period of time that would have you dedicated, sanctified, set apart, separated, that's what the word means, unto God. Now, right away, your mind should go, if I said a saint, from the Scripture's point, to all the saints at, Paul would address them all, what is a saint? One that's separated unto God. So you're saying, wait a minute, why is Paul doing this? He's a Christian. Why would he take a period of time? Well, again, he's, he's steeped in family tradition. He's steeped in Judaism. For him to, I, I want, what's the, and this is probably the question, I can't prove this, but it just seems from the, just the events unfolding, how could I thank God to the extreme level? What could I, this is Paul, what could I do that would really show how much I love my Lord? He saved my life. He saved the ministry. I'm still here. I'm going with God. I have to believe that a Nazarite vow would be in the Judaistic Religion is the number one way to do that. Now, how long a period for? Well, it certainly wasn't a year because how do you know that it broke or that it ended? He cut his hair because that was the one thing he didn't do. When the, when the vow was made, you stopped cutting your hair. Now, for his period, the period of time was maybe 30 to 60 days. Now, we, we know that at Sancria, he got a haircut. That was the end of the vow. And we do know that it, it says in Corinth, he tarried a good while. It's a good, I would say, 30 to 60 days that he would have withheld. Now, if you go through chapter 6 of Numbers, there's some things that you can't have. You can't have anything of the vine, no fruit of the vine, no wine, no fruit of that, zero. That was, was number one. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, did Samson play by the rules all the time? He really didn't, did he? He forgot what his parents had said. Now, when he did, when he really adhered to what their parents had laid out for him, amazing the strength that he had. Amazing the strength that he had. Well, not only along with not having fruit of the vine, uh, you also, you, you could not touch or even go near a dead body. Okay? Um, that, that was, the, no questions about it. There was actually, within Numbers chapter 6, again, I don't want to get into that. You guys can read that on your own. But you'll find that there was even a remedy for that in case of something that would happen that you couldn't avoid that situation. Okay? But at the end of the vow, then, you would cut your hair. Now, if we go to, uh, if you're still in Numbers chapter uh, 6, let's go to verse 13. Let's go to verse 13 and let's take a look. It says, now, and this is the law of the Nazarite, when the days of his separation are fulfilled. In other words, when you've completed your vow, he shall be brought onto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He shall offer his offering unto the Lord. What's that? What's his offering? 
There, there's going to be a lamb offering, there's going to be a sin offering, there's going to be a peace offering, but there's also going to be, well, guess what? The hair. In fact, you have to burn the hair with the offering. Whoa! Things are going to start to take place now, if you think about this. For Paul to literally fulfill the finishing of this vow, he has hair that he's cut off. Guess where he's got to go? To the temple in Jerusalem. Watch our missionary journey. <laughs> I never know which end is working here. I got it wrong, still got it wrong. There we go. So guess what? He's in San Korea. Now, we do know he's going to take a little stop off, but it's on the way home. He drops off Aquila and Priscilla at Ephesus, and he goes straight in well, Caesarea. Of course, that's the port, and he goes to Jerusalem. I'm convinced that's why he went home. He had to fulfill. Of, now, was he right in fulfilling? Absolutely, he took it. And God's not necessarily displeased with that, but I'm just saying this. What would we do? Do you have to take a vow today? In other words, would we be more spiritual if we took a Nazarite vow today? Let's say Paul today, he really wants to thank God for what he's done for him in the last year, and he's going to take a 30-day Nazarite vow. Is that helpful? You're really cautious. No, I saw nothing, no heads moving anywhere, this way or up, nothing. If you spend the 30 days in prayer. Okay, but do we need to have a vow to do that? No, no that's the key. Guess who lives within us? Here's another thing. You know, in the Jewish, the Jewish religion, the Judaizers, you know what they don't have today? If you do not have Christ, you do not have the Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference? See, Paul didn't really need to do this vow if he understood that he had the Holy Spirit within him. He truly is separated unto Jesus Christ. He's separated from the world. Love not the world. That's what John said. You see, it's, it's old school, literally. But... Again, I want to give, do you see Paul as a trooper? Guess how far it is from uh, Centria over here to uh, Jerusalem? It's about 1,500 miles. It takes me a long time to drive 1,500 miles in a car or a plane even, you know, right? You, I mean, you got to make a commitment. You got in a ship, drop some people off, make sure the church gets started in Ephesus. Isn't that amazing? I just love this guy. You know, he's going home and he says, hey, I'll tell you what, Aquila Priscilla, you come with me. You come with me. I think we need to go to Ephesus. You guys are going to stay there. I'll preach for a little bit, and then i got to go home. i got to go. In fact, if you don't think he's got to go, read this. Let's go back to our text in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 18, I'm sorry. We'll get to 19. Acts chapter 18. Now, I'm wondering, uh, Lisa was kind of mentioning that maybe it was time to be end a vow. Um, it looks like I was growing my hair. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it has nothing to do with a Nazarite vow, okay? Will I get a haircut? Probably. Before the bull sale, we'll knock it off. But I don't have to go to Jerusalem to burn it with a burnt offering. It says this. When he came to Ephesus, verse 19, he came to Ephesus and left them there. Who's them? Uh, Priscilla and Aquila or Aquila and Priscilla? You know, some have made quite a bit of difference. Uh, you'll see the, the names are switched around in order. Aquila, Priscilla, and then Priscilla and Aquila. And they've talked about different things about it. All I know is they were a fantastic team. They were a fantastic team. Didn't matter which way you lined them up, they were a team, weren't they? You always see them together. They were amazing. Tent makers. He left him at Ephesus, and, but he himself, he went in the synagogue. Of course he did. What would a, what would a former Jew do? You're going to go meet Jews. You're going to try to save Jews, right? Do you see this steeped in Judaism? It's everywhere. And, and, and he reasoned with the Jews when they desired him to, ooh, look at this, when they desired him to stay longer with them, he could say, when's the last time you saw Paul that he was asked to stay at all? <laughs> they wanted to kick him out of there. And here they're actually asking for him to stay longer in this place. And he says, no, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go to Jerusalem. 
Now he says he's got to go to a feast, but I also know since he finished the vow, the scripture is clear, very short, but it says to finish that vow. And if you know Judaism, he's got to literally show up in that temple and offer his hair along with burnt offerings to complete that vow that he'd given to God. Uh, yeah, I, I, that underlying principle, absolutely, absolutely. But did he have to take a vow to show them? No, no. No, that's, that's reverting back to, I'm just going to say, traditions. That truly, now this, and we're, this is what's going to be neat when we finish these three examples is the fact that uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, if you want to, now remember Simon, he was back in chapter 8. He was the, the magician and he wanted the Holy Spirit. Not only did I get it, I'm not sure he ever got saved. And guess what? He was going to buy it. I think there's a lot of people that are trying to buy power today. And, and I, the television people, the television land, always are talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And they talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we're talking to people that don't know Christ, and if you don't know Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you want the Holy Spirit, you have to have Christ. And if you want Christ, you have to have faith in Christ. You can't, in other words, you can't have a Holy Spirit without faith in Christ, and you can't have the Holy Spirit without Christ. There's no way, there's no shortcuts. But if you have Christ, this is what we're going to try to get to today. If you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, period. There's no levels. There's no second degree, third degree. And if you, you know, if you trust Christ more, then literally you get to have more of the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. In fact, we'll even find that, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. But answer to your question, yeah. Yeah, he, he needed an example. And the really thing, cool thing was, is in many of those epistles, he said, you know what? I did what was right. I did not force myself on you. I earned my way. I taught only about Jesus being the Christ. And he lived a, a beautiful example. Look at me. In fact, I don't usually want people to, try to look at me as an example of life. He said, use me as your example. That's saying something now. That's saying something. But it's still interesting to see. He still reached back into his baggage of Judaism. Now, again, I'm not, there's nothing ill here. But he didn't need to do that. How many things do we do today that are just on tradition that literally with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we don't need to do. It's baggage. It's baggage. This has nothing to do with what talking about. Anytime I've looked at or read in commentaries about Paul, there's been paintings, they always paint Paul bald, the bald head. <laughs> Is there any reason that, I mean, it, I, I, every, I, every time I look at a picture, they... Honestly, I don't. I, I can't. There's, there's nothing in Scripture we get evidence of that. Now, it does <laughs> seem as so, though, that he... In, in fact, I'm trying to think where it's at. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, maybe like verse 11 or somewhere there. It says that his, his, his letters were heavy and weighty. My presence is not. My speech is not. It's like he was not impressive upon the sense of literally seeing... When you would see Paul, you weren't blown away. If you heard him speak, you weren't blown away. Now, if you heard Apollo speak, I wish he was here today, he would blow your hair back. And he did that without the Holy Spirit. He was amazing. It says he was fervent in spirit, small s. See, he wasn't saved. When he, we'll find that in just a second. Paul was not that guy. But he was strong in character and strength. I mean, and he was trained well. He knew the Old Testament. That was the key to the Jew. 
If you could take the Old Testament and prove things, it didn't matter what you looked like or how good you sounded. Now, Apollos, on the other hand, had it all. <laughs> this dude was something. We'll get into that in a second. Who asked that? Oh, Paul, and he left. All right. <laughs> good deal. All right, good. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are listening by podcast, it's more than that. <laughs> yes. At any rate, um, Acts chapter 18 again. He's in the synagogue. He's reasoning with the Jews. And when they desired him to stay longer, he said, no, I've got to go. But he bade them for wealth, verse 40, 21, saying, I must by all means keep this feast which, that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return unto you if God will. How many times do we say that, actually? Not enough. I'll just say that. You have plans. You have all kinds of plans, right? How many times do we end it with, as God wills? That's really the way we should live. Nothing wrong with planning. And James, it talks about ex- explicitly. You know, say, I'm going to go to the city and make some money. No, n- not, no, no, it's not that simple. Where does God really, where does he want you? That's where I want to go, as God wills. So Paul takes off. He's heading, he hits to Ephesus, drops those people off, goes straight in to Caesarea, goes to Jerusalem. Let's keep reading. And he sailed from Ephesus, and when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up, where's up? Jerusalem. Every time you go up, when you're on that, on that side of the mountain, so we say, or in Judea, you're going to go up to Jerusalem. And what did he do? He saluted the church. And he went down to Antioch. Now, within that verse, there's so many things. There's so many things that we don't really know what happened. But we do know that he was going to Jerusalem to attend a feast, whether it the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Passover. We don't know. It doesn't really matter. But we do know that the reason for that vow to be completed from Numbers chapter 6, he's got to go to Jerusalem to finish that. And from there, then he went up to Antioch. I'm sorry, down to. I just said it wrong. He went to Antioch. Why did he go to Antioch? Remember, he's the pastor. He's one of the co-pastors in Antioch. Wouldn't you want to tell them all what happened on the second missionary journey? Tell them how God was always amazing. Now, it is interesting, though, that Antioch was the center of the church of the Gentiles. That's really where it got started. That's where, it all, that's where they all went out from. That's where Paul and Barnabas took off from, right, from Antioch, on these missionary journeys to save Gentiles, ultimately. That's their first example of... That transition from Paul, who it's amazing how long he'd even been saved, shall we say. Now, what year is this? This is important. This is important. So, when did the church start? Well, after Christ died, right? That could have been 30 AD to 33 AD, depending on what calendar or whatever you look at. So, the church probably started, let's just say, 33 AD, right? What dropped? Don't know. Pentecost takes place. Gentiles are being saved. Missionary journeys are taking place. Here we are. We're about to look at the fact that we're going to run into some people that were of John the Baptist teaching. The year is probably 52 A.D. Twenty years have taken place since the beginning of the church. And we still have these, shall we say, Refluxes, refluxes back to Judaism. Let's take a look at our next one. We find him, this man, in verse 23. After, they had spent, after he had spent some time there, this is Paul, and this is why I think this is a parenthesis just showing the, 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 the length of time necessary for transitions. After he, Paul, had spent some time there in Antioch, he departed, and he went over all the country of Galatia and Pergia in order strengthening all the disciples. What, what, 
What missionary journey is this? This is number three. He begins from Antioch. Now, what color is the missionary journey? That's uh, orange. Orange. So, actually, we're, we're not going to get into that today, but you see this orange line? He's going, and he is moving, right? Okay. Watch what happens. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, we could have talked about a lot of things, couldn't we? There's a lot of stuff going on. Keep going. Strengthen the disciples. How many times has he been in these places? You see those three lines coinciding? His belief, his belief was, get them saved, train them, teach them, and get them out to canvas and evangelize the world. That's a great system. One person or one team cannot spread the gospel over in the world. Spread it to someone, get them discipled, and get them to spread the gospel over the world. That's really his mission. That was his, that was his goal. You can just see it from where he traveled. Okay, here we go. And a certain Jew named Apollos, first time we've seen him, he's a Jew, he was born at Alexandria. Where's Alexandria? Egypt. Egypt. Okay, I don't know if it's on this map. Okay, it would be, it's somewhere down in here. Okay, big city, known for a lot of stuff, big time. A lot of Jewish population as well. Been, they've, been, they've been down there for quite some time. He was an eloquent, and the word is eloquent man. Eloquent. Do you know someone that's eloquent? How would you describe eloquence? Yeah, very polished, right? I mean, someone that's, it's just like, woof, that was smooth, right? And learned. You can't just be eloquent by being just polished. In other words, you're really smooth, but you don't know anything. This would be learned. You would have, you'd have knowledge, but you'd also be very polished in how you say it. He'd have been fun to listen to, right? But it's more than that. Keeps going. It says that um, he was and mighty in the scriptures. If there's something that I would like to know, would like to be known for, not not known, just for me, just for me to know this. If there's one thing, a goal in my life, it would be to be mighty in the scriptures. I want to know the scriptures. I want to be mighty in the scriptures. This guy was, he knew the Old Testament. Now, that's the other thing. If you see scriptures, for us to read the word scriptures, we look at the whole Bible, Okay. Anytime the scriptures are mentioned in the New Testament, it means the scriptures, the Old Testament. Because the New Testament, you couldn't say that because it wasn't even written, a good share of it. Okay? So he knew the Old Testament. He knew it well. He was mighty. He was eloquent. He came to Ephesus. Well, let's talk about Ephesus for a little bit. What do you know about Ephesus? Anything? It was a it was a popular place as well. It was very busy. There was a lot going on. But the one thing that probably sticks out the most, we'll see it later, later in chapter 19, is the Temple of Diana. Temple of Diana. And that was the goddess of fertility. And the temple, if you can imagine, uh, just in your mind, build this temple. Okay, I'm going to tell you the dimensions. It's 420 feet long, 425 feet long. That's pretty good sized. It's 220 feet wide. And it's 60 feet high. It sounds like a perfect size shop. Oh, I could get everything in there, right? Be great. Lifts we could, I mean, you could do stuff, right? This was, this was, actually, this was Diana's shop, if you want. There's 127 pillars for each king. Uh, there was a king came from, a, each pillar came from some king somewhere. I mean, Artemis or Diana, it was the place, the sanctity of that whole city revolved around that. This is where... Apollos is at. He's come here. 
It says that he, he, was, he was fervent, I'm sorry, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, that's the first thing that might get us. Uh, do you think this man is saved? Instructed in the way of the Lord. Well, let's go back to the description and find the first time we kind of find that, because it's very general, very general. Let's go back to Genesis, all the way back to Genesis. Let's look at chapter 18 and verse 19. Chapter 18 and verse 19. The Lord said in verse 17, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall... Whoops, I'm in the... Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Uh, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. Okay, That's pretty early, isn't it? Now, it's pretty general, um, but obviously would have been Old Testament. So, let's take another one. Let's go to um, Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2 and verse 22. Judges chapter 2, verse 22. See what it says. Judges 2, 22. <clears throat> Judges 2, 22. Bible's not working as well today. That through them I may prove Israel and whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein, as their fathers did keep it or not. So the way of the Lord. You can find it in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. But it actually seems to narrow down just a, just, just a little bit more. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 40 now. Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 3. Isaiah 40, and verse 3. Watch this. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Who's that? This is is a prophecy. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness is John the Baptist. Okay, let's keep reading. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight of the desert a highway for our God. Ah, so the way of the Lord more than likely from Apollos's, we'll find this in just a second, is the fact that he would have been very much trained by John the Baptist. I believe he was a student of his, actually. You can see so much unfold just as John the Baptist would have. It says he was instructed. What does instruct mean? Have uh, have you heard of the word catechism? Okay? Some of you maybe have taken catechism classes, depending on you know, your, your, your background or whatever. Catechism is basically, another word for it is repetition. You're being taught, you're instructed by someone, and it's, it's repeated and repeated and repeated. And the Bible somewhat is very much that way, isn't it? Now, what's the difference between an apostle and, see, Apollos was not an apostle. How do we know that? He was instructed. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, and let's find out what Paul says. Paul, Paul was an apostle. Let's take a look. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. Verse 11, I'm sorry. Verse 11. Look at the difference. Uh, Galatians 1, 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
You see what? An apostle had the revelation of Jesus Christ. It had to be somebody that walked and talked with Jesus, or in Paul's case, literally, he, Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and then it, actually I think it went on as he spent a great deal of time back in Tarsus, his hometown in Tarsus and Antioch, that he was, it was literally revealed to him. Even the writers of the scriptures, that's inspiration. There's an inspiration and there's instruction. Apollos was instructed what in the way of the Lord? I believe it was from John the Baptist. That's the very thing from from Isaiah chapter 40. It tells us that that man, the one that would be a a voice in the wilderness, would be preaching and teaching in the way of the Lord. Verse 25 of Acts 18 verse again. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, uh, I'm sure from John the Baptist, because as we continue, being fervent in the spirit. That's the small s. Because he's... That's another one that would grab us if we weren't careful. But let, there's one other place in the New Testament that's used of this word fervent in the Spirit. Let's find it in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. I'm hoping not wearing you guys out, but if not, just take these, these verses down and you can uh, um, check them on your own. Let's see. What did I say? Romans chapter 11. Yeah, Romans chapter 12. There we go. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. I'm sorry, I finally got it right. Romans 12, 11. Here we go. This is how we are to act. Uh, this is rubber meeting the roads, relationship to others or society. It begins in verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, small s. So we certainly wouldn't say fervent in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that word fervent, let's talk about that for a minute. The, the word literally means boiling, to be boiling, to be that excited. You're boiling in your spirit. But it has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. But you can, are you starting to see what Apollos would have been like to, find, to, to listen to? Whoa, dynamic, daring, eloquent, smooth, but powerful, and, had the, and was mighty in the scriptures. He had been, his, he was instructed, now he's not, not revelation, he was not an apostle, but he was a student of someone. He was instructed by someone in the way of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 to me tells me he was more than likely a student of John the Baptist. Because the next thing we find is an unfolding of his lack of complete knowledge. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Now, again, we say the things of the Lord. Well, from the Old Testament perspective, nothing in the world wrong with that. What does the word diligently mean in this case? Exactness. Exactness. In fact, you're going to find it in just a moment. Uh, the same word, we'll skip down to the bottom of verse 26. It says that they expounded on him the way of the God of God more perfectly. That's exactly the same word, exactly or exactness. He taught diligently, verse 25, the things of the Lord, knowing only, here we go, I have this underlined in my Bible, knowing only the baptism of John. What is the baptism of John? This is key. This is really, really important. Repentance. Why did John come? To prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah. Jesus, uh, the, 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 the baptism of John has nothing to do with the baptism of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Except if you have been baptized by John the Baptist, you now have said to the public, I'm ready to receive Jesus the Messiah. I'm open, I've repented, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting him to come, I'm ready, my heart is open to him. That's all it means. It doesn't mean you're a Christian. This is gonna, I'm, ma- I'm making this case really strong right now because when we get to chapter 19, this is one where it sees as the fact of the Holy Spirit is a second level of salvation. No, if you are baptized by John's baptism, you're not saved yet. 
Let's keep going. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, nothing wrong with that, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, how did they get there? How did they get to Ephesus? He dropped them off on his way back to Jerusalem. See how God uses situations and he's sovereignly and intricately involved? Guess what would have happened if Aquila and Priscilla hadn't been there? I don't know either, but it wouldn't have been good. He'd have had to run into somebody else someday, hopefully. I'm talking of Apollos. Right now, Apollos is not saved. Put that in bold letters. He's eloquent. He's smooth. He's in the Old Testament. He's been trained in the way of the Lord, but he is only known the baptism of John the Baptist. He does not know Jesus Christ as Lord. But he's about to. <laughs> he doesn't even change. This guy is so good. There's very little change, but he's still not saved. Because there's another level. He began to speak boldly, and Aquila and Priscilla, guess where they're at? This is interesting, too. This, I find this fascinating. Aquila and Priscilla, are, you know, Aquila was born a Jew. Where was, remember? In Pontus, way up there by the Black Sea. Guess where they're going to church? In the synagogue. Judaism, right? It's a transition. But they were in a good place at the right time. They're listening to him. And rather than have roast preacher for dinner, they invited him over for dinner. And they didn't take their rifle out. This guy's all screwed up. He doesn't get it, right? He, he, doesn't he know that Jesus came? Doesn't he know that he's the Messiah? Doesn't he know that he was dead and he was, he was, he was crucified and resurrected? No, he didn't know. He didn't know. So they brought him home, and they didn't do this publicly. This is another fascinating thing to me, is the love speaking in truth. The last thing that would have been effective was to listen to Apollos and then just say, I, I want to interject right now. This guy is telling not the whole story. There's a lot more to this. Apollos, I don't know what you're doing right now, but it's really wrong. No, they didn't do that. They listened. They invited him to their home. And then, watch, more exactly, they took him unto them and expounded, taught him the way of God more exactly or more perfectly. They're getting, he's getting the whole story. When he was disposed to pass into Achaia. Where's Achaia? We just saw that last week, right? Yeah, it's Corinth. In fact, look at verse 1. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, right? So he has went from, where am I, where am I at? Where am I at? Where's Ephesus? Just lost it. Oh, it can't be this. There we go. From Ephesus, he would have went to Corinth. Now, here's another important part. If he would have only known, or if he would have stopped and said, you know what, I don't want anything to do with what you're telling me, right, Aquila and Priscilla. I'm going to stay with my learning of the scriptures through John the Baptist. That's what, I, that's what I'm going to stay with. Okay, then how could have he been of help? Look at this. And he disposed to pass into Corinth or Achaia. The brotherhood wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. That's the disciples, I mean, the brothers from Ephesus to the brothers at Corinth, they said, receive this guy. When he was come, help them much, which had believed through grace. Do you know what happened in that verse that doesn't really say very much? Apollos got saved. He literally, after hearing the truth from Aquila and Priscilla, said, that's what I've been waiting for. I've heard of the promise. I didn't know it was fulfilled. So Jesus literally was the Messiah, and it, all of that was paid for, and we're finished. I want to be, and he probably was baptized. It doesn't say that. How much did he change? Not very much. But he had the full message, and he was able to help the church. He could not have helped the church. I want to say this very clearly, but he could not have helped the church grow if he had not been a Christian. And he is not a Christian short 
of seeing more than the baptism of, Jesus, of, of John the Baptist. I've got to be careful about how I said that. The baptism, of John the, Bapti- the baptism of John the Baptist is literally leading you to Jesus Christ. Okay? Whoa. There's a guy that was steeped in Judaism, born in Alexandria, made a long trip, eloquent. There's some really scary folks that aren't really necessarily in Christ. But they're not only not in Christ, they don't even believe in the Bible. There are literally churches across this nation today that are, this morning, right while I'm preaching and teaching from the Word of God, they're not only not doing that, they don't even believe the Bible is true. And they're eloquent. Some of them don't know about Jesus Christ. To them, if they have a desire, God will bring them to Himself. There are those that detest anything of God, and they're using it as an assembly and as a place of Satan. Now, we're going to get into it just in a moment in the third example, and it has to do with 12 disciples. I'm going to see if I can fool you, as easy as it is for us to just get there. Um, Let's keep going. In chapter 19, it says, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, okay, and it's interesting, it was like a meanwhile back at the ranch, where was Paul? He was somewhere in Galatia, right, in Pergia, and said, meanwhile, back at Ephesus, Apollos was there in Ephesus, and Aquila and Priscilla showed him the way to Jesus Christ. Why would they do that? Because I think it's very clear of the transition from Judaism to Jesus. And we're going to see the third one. Now, this is one that's been troubled, has troubled a lot of people, and it's a lot of places that people have built a doctrine on. Now, I'll say this right out of the box. If you want to teach sound scriptural doctrine, you do not go to the book of Acts. Acts is a transitional book. There's a lot of things in flux. You're moving from Old Testament teaching, Old Testament theology, to New Testament, which you find starting at Romans. Romans is a theological book. If you want to teach people theology about Jesus Christ and His his salvation, you don't go to Acts, you go to, you go to Romans, which actually Acts is unfolding that in transition. If you build your theological structure and foundation on Acts, you will find yourself to be in a lot of trouble in a lot of times, in a lot of ways. Acts chapter 19 is one of those examples. Uh, let's, let's begin using that as our background. It says, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth... Paul, have, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus. Now, we've, there's a lot of country that we've left. There's a lot of things he didn't talk about. But it seems like God wants to say something here. There's, there's like a parenthesis. Look at this. Look at this. It says, he passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. Now, what do you, where does your mind go when I say, now, nah, let me keep reading. Let me keep reading. Don't, I'm sorry, verse 2, I was ahead of myself. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, stop for a moment. There's two things that capture us, right? Let's write those words down. Whoops. <clears throat> At first glance in chapter, ch- chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, if you put those together, there's two words that stick out to you and actually make you think something that you're not sure. You can't make that distinction. What are they? Disciple, right? And what's the other one? Believe. What do you, when you, when you put those two together, what do you come up with usually? Your mind just goes there. It just wraps you up and it says, 
Well, they're Christians. I'm going to ask a question. Why does that make them a Christian? It doesn't. Is, does Satan have disciples? Does, in fact, demons believe in Jesus, right? The Bible says that. But it's amazing now what's going to happen when, I, when, when I've dis, discouraged the sense of trying to make Christians here, then it takes the edge off of what is the theological connection that many believe that there's a separation between the gift of the Holy Spirit and salvation. They want to make it two distinct units. Well, you have to. What you're, the problem is, is there's not a Christian here. If you don't have a Christian, you don't have the Holy Spirit. That's what the Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Let's go there for a moment. I think it's important. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. That's what I would want to go theologically to prove a point to someone or, or help them see a point. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. If you, are, if you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, capital S, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, you can say it two different ways. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ. The other way is, if you don't have Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. They go together. Okay? So, let's go back to our text, Acts chapter 19. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Hmm, that's interesting. So it is a separate, see, that's what most people say. But that question, well, it's two different events. In other words, you have to get baptized by the Holy Spirit and, be, and you could be saved. No. No, what you, how you got yourself there is you said it was a disciple and believed. Now, it's interesting. I want to know this. Nobody ever asked this question. I do, but I don't really have an answer. But something must have stuck out with these 12 guys. We know from chapter se- verse 7 that there's 12 disciples. I want to know, why did Paul ask that question? Because there must have been something that stuck out that showed that they weren't spirit-led or spirit-filled. In other words, it was probably like Apollos. It was an incomplete message, which I think is going to unfold for itself right now. Have you been baptized? And then that word, since you believed, or what it should say is when you believed. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What did you believe? And who were you following? That's really the question. And they said unto him, <laughs> this, this cuts right to, we have not so much as heard of whether there be any Holy Ghost. <laughs> not only do we not have the Holy Ghost, we don't even know there is one. <laughs> that tells us clue one, these are not Christians. Verse 3. He said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? Oh, great question. What did you get baptized? How did that work? Well, they answered, Unto John's baptism. Ah, it's starting to come together. It's starting to come together. Now, Paul unfolds it further. He says, John verily baptized with a baptism of, the re- of repentance. Ah, there it is. Baptism of John. Baptism of repentance. Saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. That was the promise. They didn't know about any of that. They didn't know that, that Jesus had fulfilled what he's doing. There was anticipation, but there was no accomplishment. They didn't know it was accomplished. They were looking forward, they didn't know it was fulfilled. Then watch this. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. 
Wow. Now, how does it, let's go back to uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. This would be more typical of how, now this is the last time you'll see tongues mentioned, and that tongues is a language. It's a true language, one that is understood by someone somewhere as in, a, in a people group. Acts chapter 10, and let's look at verse 44. I start in verse 43. Uh, Preter's preaching, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word, and they, were, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many had come with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he baptized them in the name of the Lord." Now that's exactly it. You, you hear the word, you respond by faith, you then are saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, and then you're baptized. Hearing, believing, baptism. That's the normal course of action that takes place. Actually, from this case on in Acts chapter 19, every single one of those goes forward that way. What are we talking about? We're talking about those that are steeped in Judaism. And for these 12 men, I'll tell you what, I think they needed that today was literally for Paul to put his hands on them as he baptized them because they trusted Christ right there. Boom. They already had the baptism of John. See, that's, that's not hard to talk somebody into that had the baptism of John. Talk to tell them why they needed Jesus as Savior. No, they were there. That's why John came. That's why God gave John the Baptist was literally to pave the way. See, we need a John the Baptist in the United States of America today to pave the way that we need a Savior. Nine out of ten people you run into don't even know they need a Savior. John the Baptist, who was, whoops, it's gone now, but he was truly a Nazarite. He was by lifetime. His parents had taken a vow for him to, for the full time of his life, to be dedicated to the Lord God, and his whole thing was to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And when, that, when you've accepted that, and that baptism said, I'm ready, I've done it. I, I'm to the public know that you know that I have repented, I'm waiting for the Messiah. That's why there's little said about Apollos, or actually these 12 men. They just, it was easy. You just tell them the truth, and boom, they're in. They believe. But they needed somebody to tell them. They needed the rest of the story. They needed the rest of the story. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of people still today that are filled churches like right here that don't know the rest of the story. They may be good people that are eloquent, that are fervent in spirit, and they know the way of the Lord to, as much as they know, but they don't know it completely. Isn't it true? Absolutely true. But this right here, chapter 19 has, has taken more people astray on the separation, the proposed separation of the Holy Spirit and salvation than any other one. Here's the key. They're not Christians. They're not Christians until they believe what Paul expounded to them that, oh no, Jesus is the Messiah. He died. He was crucified. He, he was resurrected. He's the new life. He paid for everything that you saw as coming is now fulfilled. That's what you have to believe. Boom! They did. And they were baptized. And the Holy Spirit came on them. And in this case, evidence to them and those surrounding, again, where are we at? We're in Ephesus. You know what? That church is just getting started. I bet it went boom. <laughs> I'll bet it went boom. In fact, I'll bet they spoke in languages that only those in the Ephesians could actually understand. Because that's what a tongue is. I've said, you know, God doesn't, I don't, I'm not saying God can't use tongues or languages today. And I'm going to just say language because that's a better word. Uh, but he doesn't need to. Because the book of Acts, the only place you really see it is validated. 
That's what it is because the Acts, the book of Acts is a transition, a bridge for a bridge book. So you need validation that God is literally doing what he's doing. A tongue, someone that doesn't know the language is speaking to someone that understands the message of God in another tongue. That's validation, people, right? It would be like me jumping on a plane. I get off at, at, at um, Moscow, Russia, and I would go down the, down, down the walk, the, the runway on the plane, and someone would be there, and I'd speak in perfect Russian the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what a tongue is. That's what a language is. It's not something that you don't understand. It exalted and praised God to someone that understood it. This is the last time we see it actually utilized here. Even in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about, have all spoken, spoken in tongues? And the Greek actually absolutely wants the answer to be no to that. Of course not. No, not everybody speaks in languages. No. But here's the deal. We don't need to today. The gospel does not need to be validated. The church has already went through its acts, its tradition, its transition period. It's a sign for those in which it began. And this is the last time. But here, it's, it, this is even easier than the other ones. Like, you know, there was a, you, you know, we watched as we had the Jews, which spoke in tongues initially. Well, you have to prove that the Holy Spirit came on the Jews because it's not visible. You don't see the Holy Spirit in people. So the only way that God could do that was that when, when Peter preached, 3,000 are saved and baptized, they spoke in tongues, right? Why? To validate that the Holy Spirit literally came upon them. Then we have the Samaritans. They're not a Jew. They're not anything. In fact, they're outcasts. We don't want any part of them. Well, that's why the Jews had to go and actually lay their hands on the Holy Spirit again, speaking in tongues. Well, it's the same Holy Spirit. This is crazy. How can the Jew and the, and the How else could you prove it? Speaking in tongues, different languages. Then you go to the Gentiles. What would be worse than a Samaritan? A Gentile, chapter 10. Oh, well, they're speaking. This is the same Holy Spirit, right? Exactly. And for these 12 disciples right here from John's baptism, I think it was essential for them. God knows the reasons. But at the same time, for them as they're in the city of Ephesus, to literally themselves know of the baptism of Jesus Christ, which they were baptized in, and they spoke in languages there. Now, that's the last time you'll see an active tongues being spoken in the Scriptures. You don't find it anymore. First Corinthians, now, it's interesting as well. This even makes more sense to me now. This episode is in Ephesus, correct? What would be seen as a division from the other side. Those that are taking theology from, from Acts, and I, I don't want to name it. There's no science in doing that. It's pointless. Because anybody can do anything of the Scripture and twist it any way you want to do it. Okay? But those that are using Acts chapter 19 to make a division between the, the receiving of the Holy Spirit and salvation. Let me show you in, Ephes, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, no less. This is the city in which this was performed. He is writing back to them this. Let's go there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. <clears throat> Maybe we'll just start a couple verses. That chapter 1 of Ephesians, oh, how powerful could it be? Woo! Let's start in uh, verse 10. That in the dispensation, this is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Of course, it's going to be one in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted 
after that you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. It's together. Didn't say half of you. Now, Paul also could have said, oh, you've got to go to the next level to get the Holy Spirit. No, they weren't even saved. If, uh, Mark, this, this is as clear as can be. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ. And if you don't have Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. But if you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. It's just that simple. There's no division of time. There's no, oh, i got to get better. Got to No, you have him. Here's the key. The rest of your life, you're going to learn how to yield more to the Spirit. That's what you're going to spend the rest of your life doing. The more you yield to him, the more of the Spirit can use you. That's the question, not how much of the Spirit you have. Every single one of you that have trusted Christ have the Spirit. How much of the Spirit has you? Or how much of you does the Spirit have? I've been a little bit overbearing probably, but this is, this is really deep theological. These are points that are really, really misunderstood at a high level. These are things that need to be clear. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's interesting again, Corinth, Ephesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit, there's not three running around there. For by one spirit we are all, not half of you, not a quarter of you, all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, doesn't matter what, what race you are. Whether we be bond or free, it doesn't matter if you're a slave or free. And having been all made to drink into one spirit. That's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. But here's another one. Now, when I say the word Corinth, you guys should know a lot more about that. What would you say about Corinth? Ooh, boy. In fact, if you did a Greek play, it would be like you would be the drunken, immoral person in the, in the, in the play. That's, that's what a Corinthian was. Quit acting like a Corinthian. It's almost like the worldwide thing. Stop acting like an American. It's about the same thing anymore. But let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. So the word that you've probably been taught as you're growing up, maybe in different classes or different Bible studies, is a word that comes with Corinthians is carnality, right? Fleshly. Um, they were sinners. They were not very perfected, shall we say. But watch this. My point is, when we read this verse, if they have the Holy Spirit, uh, yeah, I guess you get it when you're saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. We'll start in verse 15, though. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body, and the two saith he shall be one flesh? And he that joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his body. Now, no doubt, those verses have to do, as I said last week, sitting at the top of the hill at Acropolis in, in uh, Corinth was a temple, and I've just forgotten that name. Ah, do you guys remember from last week? I forgot the name, the, the goddess of sex. Uh, of sex. Uh, I can't think of it. Oh, my goodness. Is that what it was? Yeah. yeah, maybe it is. Okay, let's go with that. Anyway, I'm so sorry to those listening. But at any rate, within that temple, and it was, the, it was the magnified piece of the whole city of Corinth, which was 200,000 people. And it sat at the top of this Acropolis Hill, and a thousand prostitutes, a thousand priestesses, this is the word they use, that literally would canvas the city every single night. That, no doubt, is what they're talking about to the church. And think about having a church in the most sensual city in the world. Can you imagine the difficulties of that? It's a, it's a tough thing. But let me watch this. Watch this now. Even in Corinth. I read you the first 18 verses. Now watch. And he says in verse 19, What? 
Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. That is a fantastic verse. If the Corinthians have the Holy Spirit, trust me, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. Um, let's see. Now, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit? The unsaved. In fact, go to Jude, and that's going to be a tough thing to find. Go to Jude, or Judy, depending on how you want to say it. It's that little book, and you don't go to chapters. There's only one. Jude, and we're going to look at one verse. Well, maybe look at a couple verses, but uh, for you those that are sorting through your pages, it's on page 1,912. Oh, wait. Wait. Jude, uh, verse 19. It says, these, are you there? Okay, getting close. Jude, verse 19. These be they which, who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Ah, those that are separated on the world, guess what? They don't have the Spirit. Aha, that's the only ones that don't have the Spirit. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. Let's go to 2 Peter, chapter 1. Just turn back a little bit further. 2 Peter, chapter 1, and verse 2. Uh, we'll start in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things. Now stop for a moment, okay? If you want to tell, if you want somebody to, in other words, somebody says, I want to get the Holy Spirit. Okay? I don't know that I've had anyone actually ask me that, but there are those that are outside that have to appreciate the power, right? There are those that are seeking the power. And sometimes it's attributed correctly to the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to have that. What's that? Simon, Simon in chapter 8 of Acts. That's very true. It's exactly him. I haven't... In this world we find today, they don't even make the power of God of anything. But at the same time, Simon wanted it. He wanted to buy it. Okay? But if someone came to you and said, I want the power of the Holy Spirit, would you tell them about the Holy Spirit? No. You tell them about God, and the only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ. And when you get Jesus Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. You don't, you don't take them to the Holy Spirit to get Jesus. No, you get Jesus and you get the Holy Spirit. Even Peter lays that out clearly. God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. You get all things after you've trusted Christ. There's a, there's a sequence, if you will. Now, the other part of this is, um, if you were baptized by John, John was he, was, he was, he was unbelievable, honestly. Jesus said he's the greatest man that's ever walked. He was the end of the, new t of the Old Testament dispensation. And I may have told you this before, or you probably know this, but even if you were a follower of John, and John was your instructor, which I believe Apollos was. And I think he was an amazing student. I think he was, I, I just can't imagine. Can you imagine after he got saved? Now the Holy Spirit lives within him? It, it, let's, I want to go back in your text for a moment. I just thought of this. I don't even know where I was going to go next. But maybe this was just it. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter uh, 19, or verse eight, chapter 18. And look at verse 18. This is after he's saved. It says in verse 28 of Acts 18, and he... Apollos mightily convinced the Jews. It was like there was no refuting him. He was so powerful, there wasn't an argument. Could, he was just like, poof, you're done. There's, there's nothing even, he could just win. Now, that was the power of the Spirit, capital S. 
He was good before, but now amazing. I tell you what, I would like to bet around him. I would have liked to, I would have liked to have caught a sermon from him, like a podcast from him. Whoa. Now, I was going to go somewhere else, but I don't know where it was at. What, was I, what did I say before that? What got me off track or on track? Maybe I'm not supposed to go there. Let's not do that then. Questions, comments? Oh, I know. I know where it was. I know where it was. Just stop my notes again. Um, so, someone that believed in the baptism of John the Baptist. Um, incomplete story. Doesn't know everything, right? But I want to even show you something. Now, John was that guy when he saw Jesus from afar off. He said, behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. That's, that's, that's looking forward. That's looking into the future, right? If you're a follower of John the Baptist and you're baptized, the only thing you have been baptized into is repentance for the coming of the Messiah. Not for the Messiah. It's not Christ's baptism, okay? You know, John, even later in his life, doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. Let's go to Matthew 11. Now, I'm nothing against John because I tell you what, if you were in prison and it was looking pretty bleak and nobody's visiting and it just looks like nothing's happening, because wouldn't you think John would be the same thing? This is the end. We've got to get people to repent because Jesus is going to take over and the kingdom's coming. That was the whole message, right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 11. It came to pass when Jesus was made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, and he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison, this is John the Baptist, when he heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and he said unto them, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? John the Baptist even had doubts. That's why believing in John's baptism is still incomplete, isn't it? He never saw the fulfillment of it. He was preaching the leading up to. He saw it down the road. He saw the future of it. He saw all of those good things, but is incomplete without really getting the baptism of Jesus Christ, to be saved by Jesus Christ. And then Jesus said in verse 4, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor of the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus said to them all, Just take that back to John. Just show him what we're doing here. All right. Any questions? Comments? Got a small group here today, but... I'm telling you, chapter 19 of Acts has misled so many people down a trail that just takes them to areas that is not theologically correct. The rest of the scriptures in the New Testament, very, very clear, very, very clear. And the Old Testament speaks about the Holy Spirit coming. Again, you're right. I mean, it's there, no question. The promise is there. But the fulfillment of it is not until Jesus Christ literally says, you, I, I must leave so the Comforter can come, and he will not only be with you and teach you, he will be in you. Yes. It's a good chance. Before, it's a good chance. Well, that's, that's a good chance. That's actually a really good chance that he, they might have been disciples of even Apollos now. I mean, how couldn't you? If you listen to this guy, you listen to Paul, you're sitting on the front row listening to Apollos, you whoa, that's amazing, right? Now, the, the point of what we don't know is how long was Apollos there preaching in the synagogue before Aquila and Priscilla took him home? We know that Aquila and Priscilla were there when Paul dropped them off, right? And it seems as such that Paul 
taught when he dropped them off in the synagogue. And Apollos, my, my impression of that is he would have come just shortly thereafter. But nonetheless, they could have heard him, and maybe it would have also attracted those that were of John the Baptist. You should see him saying they could have been students of, of John as well. But the, the bottom line is this. Those 12 plus Apollos believed the same thing. That's all they knew. They believed what they knew. That's why, see, there's only one gospel. I, I can't say that loud enough. We've had some interesting conversations about being several gospels. There is only one gospel. Those men of John the Baptist's baptism were not saved until they got saved by Jesus Christ and they were baptized by Jesus Christ to prove that their baptism, uh, that their salvation was good and true. There is one gospel. Abraham was, he, he trusted God and it was counted to him as faith. Faith to what? Faith to the coming Redeemer. That gospel of Jesus Christ saved Abraham. That gospel will save Daniel. That gospel will save anyone in the Old Testament. That gospel will save those that were in the transition period. That gospel saved us. That gospel will save those in the Revelation, the, the period to come, as we're looking forward to that. Is that unfolding of the tribulation period? The gospel of Jesus Christ, him dying, being buried, and rose again, that is what saves people, period. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes of the Father but by me. You know, sometimes we say, when I say, I am the way, what is the way? That's exactly where you see it today, the way of the Lord. Let's go back to that. I think this is important. Acts chapter 19. And then I think we're going to, oof, time's slipping. Acts chapter 19. Uh, verse 8, chapter 18. So sorry. Um, remember now, it said that he was instructed in the way of the Lord. But look at down there in verse 26. It says, Aquila and Priscilla had heard they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Who is the way? I am the way. Jesus is the way. John, John prepared the way. John told of the way coming. Jesus said, I am the way. That's what Apollos needed to hear, who the way was. And they respond. And both Apollos, it's, it's interesting how, how easily they accepted the gospel. Isn't that, isn't that the power of the Holy Spirit today? If you want somebody to get saved, pray that the Holy Spirit touches them. Not that you have eloquent words. Eloquent words doesn't save anyone. Doesn't save anyone. But if the Holy Spirit touches that life and brings them, see, they had already been touched by the Holy Spirit, the effects of it, literally, through John's baptism, through John's message of repentance. That's how they got saved. But if you don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ. <laughs> Somebody asked me, do you have the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I really do. Oh, well, you're one of us. I don't know about that. What are you? <laughs> right? But you can't have Christ. This is even more important. You can't have Christ without faith. Faith in Christ alone, through grace alone, in God alone, and for glory alone to God. To Him be honor and glory. Any other questions? If not, let's pray. Father God, thank You for the Scriptures. Thank You for the Holy Spirit. Thank You for Him, him ministering to us today. Showing us the way. Taking the truth unfolding for us true doctrine. Thank you, Father, for working in our lives. Thank you for us seeing even more clearly than we have before. May you be glorified and honored. May Christ be preached everywhere. May we receive all that you've intended for us. Thank you for your, for your wealth of knowledge that comes through the Scriptures. Give these a safe day, a safe week, and allow them, Father, to even meditate on the Scriptures, that wherever they end up, that you would be glorified, they would be blessed. Those they come in contact with, 
get to know more about Jesus, that they would be, become mighty in the Scriptures. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. In Christ's name, amen. Well, today being the first um, Sunday of the month,